0: Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film
1: Alright, it's the good stuff Yeah You're listening to episode 173 of the Laugh Podcast I'm one of two co-hosts, Richard Lusk over there is Mr. Ryan Bull Howdy How are you today, sir? Doing alright As summer comes to its lows <sighs> That's actually a good thing. I'll talk about that in a minute. You can find more of our shows at com. And if you haven't done so already, we would love it if you went to iTunes and left us a review. That would really help out our show. So as you mentioned, summer is over. And now it's down to serious movie time. They can stop making popcorn <laughs> at the movie theater.
0: Right? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, we'll get into that on and the We are. Laugh. There's plenty of popcorn. Really? Uh, this upcoming
1: <sighs> It's not been a great summer this year, I don't think. I mean, as far as I'm concerned. But we've had those arguments already. For me, that has changed, I think. This week's movie has changed those things somewhat. I'm talking, of course, about the socio-political neo-Western, Hell or High Water. You may be hearing a lot of things about me and your uncle. Whatever I hear, I won't believe No, you believe it. I did all of it.
0: those banks loaned the
1: least they could so they could swipe your mama's land. It's a big bank. It's too big. That's what she said. They took everything from your family. This is your chance to take you back. On the ground! Paying them back with their own money? Well, if that ain't Texan, I don't know what is. You hear about these bank robberies? I may have one hunt left in me.
0: (laughs) It's a good thing it does more down. every step of the way
1: the synopsis for is from this movie's website and it describes the movie as a story about the collision of the old and the new west two brothers toby played by chris pine a straight living divorced father trying to make a better life for his son i think there are two sons though sons and tanner ben foster is a uh, short-tempered ex-con with a loose trigger figure they come together to rob branch after branch of a bank that is foreclosing on their family land. Vengeance seems to be theirs until they find themselves in the crosshairs of a relentless foul-mouthed Texas ranger played by Jeff Bridges. Alright, so Hell or High Water is a movie seemingly made for me, I think. From its plot and its characters and the theme-driven nature. I was talking to a friend of the show, Red Dog, and he mentioned something about our podcast uh, on uh, The Lobster, and he wasn't as high on that movie as we both were. But my defense of it was that movies don't necessarily have the... uh, They don't deal with ambiguity well. They're not interested in that. This movie is very interested in dealing with ambiguities and settling ambiguous themes, or, or at least addressing ambiguous themes. So... I think of this movie as being the road less traveled throughout the summer movie going experience for me. And I have found I I was very pleased with it. And I'm wondering, do you have did you have the same experience?
0: Yeah, this movie's definitely in my top three for the year. I mean, uh, and at the end of the year, I'm pretty sure it's still going to be up there. It might be the best film I've seen this year already and i think a lot of that has to be because of the writing which you've touched on a little bit it's from uh taylor sheridan who did last year's sicario a film that we both had as our number one pick and this film it keeps a lot of the same flavor as sicario Mm -hmm. i don't think it's as open-ended and you know able to see both sides of the issues as sicario was able to but i'm not sure that that's a bad thing i think this movie's i know this movie's definitely funnier than sicario Mm. arguably, this is also the best comedy I saw this summer. I Mm. laughed more at this than than any other comedy I saw. I mean, I laughed a whole lot more than I laughed at Sausage Party, a film I had seen just a couple days before seeing this one. How many people were in your theater with you? Ooh, probably close to 20. Really? Yeah. I went to the first showing on a Saturday morning. Okay. And, I mean, a lot of people in the audience laughing. You know, everyone was into this film.
1: They have the same... Uh, experiences, you? They were laughing. They were
0: yeah. Getting, I, they were into it. Yeah, I think everyone it was into it. It definitely had a positive vibe. I mean, and the film starts off very quick.
1: That's a pretty serious movie-going crowd. There, the people that want to see it as soon as possible, they don't want to go with the with the masses. They want to see it Saturday morning early. Yeah,
0: that's that's so, normally a good that's crowd. a pretty Good crowd. Yeah. Uh, not as good as the Friday morning Tarantino crowd. I've seen a couple of Tarantino movies yeah. on the day they've come yeah. out. With that crowd, that that's yeah, a, good, that's a crowd. good crowd. But uh, yeah, no, everyone's into it. The film starts really quickly. If you're not into the first five ten minutes of this film, this film's not for you. Walk out of the theater. Yeah. But I would think a lot of people are going to enjoy this film.
1: I have no problems recommending this movie. No, there's no one that I don't think it can touch on. Uh, but there are some people. I mean, right now it's ranked 99 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So there's I think two critics that found something wrong with it. Uh, if anything, if I were going to be critical in any way, I would say something about it. Maybe being a little too forgiving of the morally questionable decisions and the moral relativism of some of the main characters. Uh, They, I don't know, like maybe it's a little too convenient to blame the system sometimes for things. Um, The tagline of this movie is justice isn't a crime. Uh, And I mean, we can get into that a little bit in terms of philosophy, but I would say sometimes that is a crime when, uh, when innocent people suffer. So there are, some, there are some problems with it on that sort of thematic level in terms of its message. But I can't be critical of it because when I tried, to, when I tried that out as a criticism, I, I went back and started thinking, well, no, this movie does enough in the other direction. To, uh, to redeem itself in that nature, it, it is not. I don't think it's coming from one standard viewpoint that justice is, isn't a crime. I think it's it's showing both both points of view, and and it. I don't know if it does it even handedly, but it there, it allows enough for both perspectives that uh, it makes for an enjoyable, thoughtful movie-going experience for me. Something I'm not used to.
0: Well, well, that in while the two brothers are definitely criminals, what they do robbing banks is definitely illegal. Jeff Bridges character also has a lot of blood on his hands by the end of this film. The decisions he makes are not always the smartest thing. He, he can okay. be blamed a whole lot. And I mean, he's a really interesting character. He's not just, you know, doing his version of Tommy Lee Jones in no country for old men.
1: Yeah. That's I mean, that's the trope that this movie is compared yeah. to. I mean, the tone of that is a, is, In this movie as well. There aren't very many movies that have the same sort of setting and tone. So it's not going to necessarily... I mean, that's not an invalid criticism. But he is the lawman at the end of his career, like Tommy Lee Jones was. Yeah, but... uh, But that's also Lethal Weapon, I think.
0: Yeah, but also the decisions he makes because of that, I think, are very different than what Tommy Lee Jones does. Or Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. Um, Also, his uh, partner, played by Gil Birmingham... Mm -hmm. That guy's great. His pard, Yeah. I mean, he's he's a great straight man, but he also carries a lot of the acting weight in those scenes. They have a lot of um, times where they're both just sitting down conversing, and he makes for a great foil, and he lets you into the mind of Jeff Bridges a lot more and complicates that character. I agree with that assessment. I'm trying to come to
1: grips with the idea that – you say Jeff Bridges has blood on his hands that he's somehow culpable because of his decisions. And I I'm not I don't know if this is something we have to say for later, but I don't I don't have that same He's point going again. on
0: one last great adventure. Okay. And he doesn't necessarily need to do it that way. And it's just it's the two of them, we're going to go and we're going to stop these bank robbers and he chooses not to act on some of his information right away. He could have acted on some of his information.
1: Okay. I think
0: that is something we have to send. Yeah.
1: Save for spoilers. Yeah, that, I mean,
0: that's it, as much as I want to get into it, but it, it, it's interesting.
1: The ambiguous part with him comes in the epilogue to the movie or the uh, sort of, I guess you could say, the the final scene uh, between him and another character. conversation that he has with another character at the end, much like, the conversation that occurs at the end of no country for old men. This, this one is more tense, this conversation in this movie and uh, the interplay and in philosophy between those characters allows for the two points of view that I was referencing earlier. So when I, if, if I think of there's a hero in the movie, I think it's, I think it's Jeff Bridges character. And I, I'm not, I mean, I, I think the movie might, or some people that are going to see the movie might be led to believe that it's Chris Pine, but, uh, uh, his character, Toby, I guess, mm-hmm. or Tanner or Toby, which one is he? Toby, Toby, but I'm not sure that the movie, I mean, he's got the movie star, good looks. He's got the, uh, the motivation that they set up as a, um, the, the main factor that leads to, to all this, that leads actually to the bank robberies. But, uh, I'm not sure that it's, that is necessarily his movie.
0: Oh, I think you can make an argument that he's also the protagonist of this film. This, yeah, th- uh, in wrestling terms, this is a face versus face match. You've got two guys who are over. This is Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just who do you want to choose for? You're not wrong for cheering for either guy. Hmm. I mean, that's the way I see it. I mean, but you know, I I, I don't know. Well,
1: Pine's got the movie
0: star good looks. As I
1: mentioned, but those eyes are distracting. <laughs> they look like they're drawn. They look like big Disney movie princess eyes. <laughs> huge
0: eyes. So This might be my favorite Chris Pine movie. I, I've not like Z for Zachariah? He was fine in that. I, I like him in the Star Trek films. This movie, he impressed me a lot with his acting. And mm. that last scene of the movie, he mm. really does have to act in carry his weight or he could have gone blown away. Right. And he doesn't. Hmm. You know, I I kind of had more on the level like of a Keanu Reeves. And I thought, oh, you get him in the ring with a heavyweight like Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is going to blow him out of the water, much like Keanu Reeves was blown out of the water by Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate, mm-hmm. you know, and just shows mm, these guys are on different levels. You can still enjoy them, but you got to make sure you keep them separate. No, he did a lot of lifting. Ben Foster, really like that guy.
1: Yeah, he's playing a version of himself though like that kind of crazy hmm? uh loose cannon type twitchy
0: guy yeah i mean we'll talk about him some in the we laugh uh because he was in the mechanic uh-huh. and the sequel to that comes out this weekend and i really liked him in the mechanic that was probably the first film i noticed him in
1: uh hand of god in 310 to yuma
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah.
1: he's playing the same sort of character this kind of guy this kind of you know, like hair trigger guy uh what else was he in? He was in uh, Warcraft.
0: <laughs> <Early on. laughs> yeah, he was Medivh. Typecast
1: is Warcraft. So, uh, Well, I actually played against type in that movie, I think.
0: But, you know, really this is a movie with four main actors. And they all do a great job. There are lots of people who come in who have minor roles. You know, a waitress mm-hmm. or someone from the bank, whatever. Local police people. They're all good. They all feel authentic. And that was one of the things I really enjoyed. This movie's set in West Texas. And this really does feel like West Texas, mm. which is... It's still America, but you're really in America.
1: Right.
0: It's very much, you know, right-wing, NRA. Uh, there's a comment made, maybe we should not Rob Banks, where so many people have concealed carry. <laughs> yeah.
1: Actually, I lived in that area. So, I mean, I lived in San Antonio, which is a little bit further mm. uh, south, but... uh them where they were doing their thing. But I can tell you that there are people like that. And like you, you, you kind of walk into a place and you look around and you think, huh, half the people in here have guns. (laughs) Some of them are concealed. Some of them are just wearing on their hip. You know, that's just kind of the way they are. So that, I mean, that sets up a great scenes. I mean, some of them are in the movie trailer. Like I've gone back and looked at the trailers since then, I think, or since I watched the movie. I think I saw the trailer for this early on in the year, like uh, early at beginning of the summer. And it may have been uh, in that Star Trek Beyond movie. But I knew within 15 seconds that it was a movie I was going to want to watch. So I stopped you know, watching the trailer. I just put my head down. And uh, I'm glad I did that. Because I think sometimes the marketing for this could have... I, I think it's it, it ruins the experience. And what I'm saying is I, I had no problems telling it, it was about them uh, trying to make a, a better life for themselves. I think that they describe it in the, on the website as trying to recapture their futures, or one of them trying to recapture his future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they're going after the bank that sort of took them down. I wasn't really sure through the first half of the movie where they were headed or what, what exactly their, their true motivation was. And that was a key element that kept me guessing through that throughout the movie because I didn't see the trailer and I didn't know that that was a function of like uh, their I don't know their actions like their motivations.
0: I mean, there were hints. I mean, I, I kind of understood. I feel. I mean, you gotta really be paying attention. You know, the stuff with their mother. It's it's all very quick, but I also like we don't have to have a whole lot of setup. I mean, within the first five minutes, they rob a bank. Right, and they have a reason for
1: robbing banks.
0: But it's get us into the heart of the story. You know, that's one of the classic uh, rules, apparently, in script writing. Come into scenes late, leave them early. Uh You know, get to the meat and potatoes of the issue. I think this film does a very good job with that. You know, in the same way Sicario, it gets into the meat and potatoes real quick. Mm -hmm. You know, and same writer. So, I I appreciate that. The director
1: Um, of this is uh, David McKenzie, who the only movie i've recognized of his is start up did you ever see that as a prison movie
0: yeah I, I didn't see that that was on my list i think about 2 years ago to go see and that was pretty highly yeah it was a uh, pretty good movie i liked it claimed
1: yeah uh i think it has uh, uh the the kid from kingsman in it uh, i can't remember his name now but uh the thing that i liked about that movie and the thing i like about this movie including the cinematography is its sense of deliberateness. And everything is framed so purposefully and exactingly that it you know the, the story that you're getting is exactly the story that the screenwriter and the director want to tell. And although there's stuff operating outside of the frame, it's it's, it's not necessarily extraneous to the plot, but it's not essential to the plot. So everything you see and everything that happens almost every single scene is essential to the story, Mm -hmm. to the plot. And there are probably three or four instances where the movie could have gone in any direction that it wanted to. There's a scene in um, in a casino where one of the characters has an adversarial conversation with another character. In a different movie, that could have gone in a completely different way. And the fact that it didn't, that this movie doesn't, uh, is a testament to how much I liked it. Because it, if it had gone in that other direction then it would have made for a, less of an experience. It would have been just sort of, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, trite. Boring.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely I see what you're saying. Uh, one of your favorite movies is The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan. And one of the things Nolan said when he was scripting that movie with his brother was they needed to come up with at least three reasons for every single scene. You know, is it accomplishing something with plot? Is it accomplishing something with characterization and symbolism? You know, whatever. But mm-hmm. it needs to at least have three reasons for it to be here in the script, or we're cutting it. I feel that this movie works in that same way. Um, there's a lot of graffiti. There are lots of signs in this movie. You mm-hmm. know, there are lots of shots of cars going up and down roads. So you you get a sense for how the economy is in these towns. So there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's talking about the housing crisis right. that was going on. You know, so I, I know people want to lump this in with No Country for Old Men. I even did that earlier. But, I mean, this film is comparatively a, a sister picture with something like The Bid Short, even. Or 99 Homes. Homes, yeah.
1: Uh, there's Which is
0: really interesting. They, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the violence and the humor. But there's a lot of social commentary going on in this film.
1: Well, there's another movie that has a similar tone that I was thinking of while you were saying this. And the reason that it occurs to me is because I was trying to think of another actor who could have played that role that Pine played. And it would have made for a different movie, but he's probably a little too old. But it feels like Brad Pitt would have done a pretty good job in that, in that role. Uh, although maybe he's closer now to playing someone like Jeff Pritches uh, in Age the movie i'm thinking of though and i was stalling for time to try to get it but it deals with some of the issues of uh, the social the political and the social issues and it is uh the the uh, killing him softly brad pitt was in killing him softly okay. and this that movie had the same sort of sensibility the same sort of tone it's a, a dark movie it's got a lot of dark humor but one of the drawbacks of that movie and one of the things that a lot of people didn't like was how it just pounded you over the head with its imagery and its idea that, I mean, every 10 minutes or so there was a speech <laughs> on the television talking about the financial situation that we were in at the time and killing him softly. In this movie, like you said, it's a lot more subtle and there's a lot more going on uh you know, within the frame and then what the characters are reacting to. Well, and stuff to, I think then.
0: you won't even notice until you do repeat viewings. I mean, in one of the opening shots, yeah, you see spray painted on the wall, three tours, and I didn't get a bailout.
1: Right. I, that's also in the trailer, too. So. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, you know, stuff like that, you know, you've got to be paying attention and, and your eyes are going to be directed elsewhere in the frame because there's a car parking and, and you're interested in that car for reasons that become apparent when you watch the movie. But, right. But, there is a lot of really careful cinematography and a lot of great location scouting.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: so often I, I feel like, you know, if a movie set in New York, I, I, I've been there. I've seen all the sites. It's very hard to make New York look new and exciting. And West Texas doesn't really stand out in my mind as being iconic. But this movie does a really good job of making it um, stand out in the film. And every little town has its own flavor, too. Oh, well, it, it doesn't all feel <laughs> exactly the same. No, it's it's
1: definitely like that down there. I mean, the way that people act and the way that they... Their, their sort of mindset, their worldview. The, the, the tension that goes on between characters. Uh, I'm trying to think of... There's a scene in a, at a gas station that with a different director or a different uh, screenwriter it could have gone in a completely different way. But instead, the choices that they made at that scene made this movie better than the average movie. And sometimes it's a lot of, like, what not what you put in, but what you leave out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, they left out a lot of the stuff that would have bogged it down with his, uh, with Toby or Chris Pine's family. Like, I I could see a different movie spending a whole lot of time with that um, Mm -hmm. as a motivation. But if if you had, it would have just been, I I don't know, it would have, like I said, it would have... acted as a weight to the themes of the movie, and uh, it wasn't operating in that.
0: The movie's realm. got a runtime of what, maybe an hour 40, hour 45. Mm. And like you said, it could have very easily been bloated and been over two hours. Right. I, I wonder what the first cut of this uh, came in at, because I, I do feel like they left some stuff you know, in the cutting room floor.
1: Yeah, but again, it's like uh, and, Hemingway and the- would write chapters to books and just you know throw them in the fire so
0: well and then the other thing is it's still there you film those scenes even if you plan on cutting them <laughs> but they help your actors figure out who their character is and you know they're still conscious then of those decisions they made in the cut scenes in, in, in when they film later scenes that do appear in the movie you know right. just that un uh spoken brotherhood that chris pine and ben foster have i mean they really do feel like brothers
1: yeah I and agree. you can
0: definitely tell they have a lot of feelings about the other one i mean they're not the best of friends they care about each other and there's a lot of unspoken history mm-hmm. so you know i appreciate that
1: and then analog to that is a relationship between jeff bridges and uh what was it birmingham Mm -hmm. I think what's his name Alfredo or
0: Alberto Parker
1: Alberto yeah uh I have a question about that and maybe we should save it for spoilers the man that hath no music in himself nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds is fit for treasons stratagems and spoils so do you think uh Alberto likes Jeff Bridges character
0: yeah you do yeah, I mean, he pisses him off. But I think, you know, they both think highly of the other one.
1: I don't think so. Really? Yeah, I think the second time you watch this movie, you read it, look at it from that perspective, that Alberto doesn't really like him. And it changes the way you see their interactions. And it, there's one key scene where he says uh, something to him like, you know, I am starting to feel sorry for you, or something like that, or I, I started to see... Maybe I started to feel sorry for you there. I don't think he's being serious when he says that. At one point in the movie, and they first meet, uh, when you first meet the two characters, Bridges is sort of making fun of them for the clothing that he wears. Uh, like he's not supposed to, like they have, a, what, three or four different uniforms they can wear.
0: Yeah.
1: And they just he just happens to be wearing the same uniform that day. So uh, Bridges' character makes a part, uh, point of it. And uh, Birmingham's character... Just has this heavy sigh, and he just looks at him like, oh, again, you know, again with this crap. And I decided then I was not going to look at this movie like th- it was a buddy cop kind of thing mm-hmm. where they sort of just really liked each other. They were just kind of ribbing each other. I was going to try to look at it like he didn't like uh, Jeff Bridges. So maybe I was lo- forcing too much into it, but I never did see any situation where that guy. Kind of like, I think he kind of wanted him to retire and just be done with it and just get out of here. And I, I don't think once if if what happens to Birmingham didn't happen, Alberto didn't happen, if he didn't get his head blown off, if uh, – we're in spoilers.
0: Oh, okay. Just yeah.
1: checking. <laughs> if that hadn't happened, then I don't think uh, he would have ever said another word to uh, Bridges' character after after they he had retired. I think Alberto would have gone on probably taken over his desk and not seen him one time ever. <laughs> that's just my feeling.
0: Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're the best of friends. I think they have a lot of respect for each other. And I mean, some of that's just uh, Jeff Bridges isn't going to be the type of person who's ever going to tell you he likes you.
1: I don't think he respects him either. <laughs> I'm thinking of that scene at the... Uh, at the diner? When, no, when the, the truck... And he's like... Five branches or eight branches here. Midland Bank has eight branches, and Alberto's like, "Yeah, but one of them's closed." I know one of them's closed. I know that. I see. I think he's like showing him up. I think he's like, "Yeah, your old country wisdom, old man, just doesn't work around here. It doesn't work anymore. You need to get on, move on, get out of here."
0: Well, but that's also Jeff Bridges still wants this last great adventure, and Alberto tells him, "You." You don't want this to end because you know when we go back home, it's over. You're retired. I mean, Bridges spends the night outside of the bank. Right. You know, laying on a park bench. Yeah, is
1: is that what you were alluding to earlier when you said that you thought the decisions he makes puts blood on his his hands? Yeah. What, What decisions? What specifically?
0: There are two banks left. He could have called ahead and said, you need to have a police car waiting at this bank. It's going to get robbed later today. You know, we ha- we highly suspect well, Why
1: wouldn't be. Why wouldn't the banks know that? Why wouldn't they do that? Why is one person in charge of that? It seems to me like that was a failure. Yeah, we've of- been hit
0: on for it. I, I think Jeff Bridges, he wants to go on this great adventure. I mean, when they're having the shootout at the end, Bridges <laughs> has this big old smile on his face like, hey, ain't this fun? There's oh, but he cries.
1: He breaks down
0: and at cries. the At the end. After Alberto gets shot. But before Alberto gets shot, Bridges is running around. He's he's having fun. This is a great adventure. Well, yeah, that's what they do. He's a cop. Yeah. But, oh, what a way to go out. Yeah. These are my last days being a Texas Ranger. I'm living it up. I mean...
1: I don't think you can blame him for Alberto getting shot. I don't think... I don't think the movie... Maybe it does. Maybe the movie wants you to lay the I'm blame. I'm saying...
0: Uh, I don't, Somewhat. I, I definitely blame Ben Foster <laughs> right. for Alberto getting shot, but Jeff Bridges isn't completely, so maybe he feels clean. guilt for that. Yeah.
1: Well, that, I mean, that comes up in sort of the, and the Alberto,
0: apartment. I think when they're at the first motel says, you know, it's amazing you've lasted this long. We, we live a dangerous life. Our job is dangerous. It's a wonderful thing to make it to retirement doing what we do. Right. And I, when he's about I'm like, nope, he's dead. Oh, you thought Alberto was going. to... Oh die? yeah, as soon as he gave that speech, I'm like, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, I've make heard it.
1: some other reviewers say something like that too, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't get that. I didn't get that feeling out of it. I, I wasn't, I guess, I wasn't looking for Alberto to be shot or either one of them to be shot. I was just kind of letting the movie happen. But I mean, that's a, that's the point that someone else was referring to that I couldn't catch on to. I didn't know, but now it makes uh, sense.
0: Oh yeah, no, that, that just that sticks out of my. Head. It's like. Uh... If you're the fat kid, you're the buddy to the good-looking kid in a movie, never give him something to hold on to. Like, if i only oh got this, that's make sure my mom gets this trinket, <laughs> right, right. you're just signing your death warrant. <laughs> right. So right. when Alberto made his speech, I'm like, oh, he's done. Hulk. Because uh, there was that scene in the first man. motel, and he's got the six-pack. Alberto's not drinking, and he takes all the beers with him. Well, it was his six-pack. <laughs> <Yeah>, he wasn't <laughs> he able to sleep. Can't uh, get just... drunk off beer. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, if he's not an alcoholic, I'd be surprised <laughs> living that kind of life. But I, I don't think that that plays into his decision-making there. I don't think it leads to any problems, necessarily. Mm. A six-pack? Come on.
0: I, I don't know if they were trying to hint at something. I mean, and maybe there were more scenes of him drinking that got cut out of film. I don't know if they were trying to have him match uh, Ben Foster's intake of beer. Yeah, I think they were doing a lot to create
1: analogs between the two characters, or different sets of characters, and different things that they that one character would say in one scene would be echoed in something another character says in another scene, but it was changing around and those dynamics, uh, the interplay between brothers and mm-hmm. partners. Uh, well, an interplay between waitresses and guys. Yeah, I mean, all of that was working on so many different levels that, I mean, my head was kind of ping-ponging around trying to figure the movie out. Not... Not that it was necessarily complicated, but it's so multi-layered and textual that you can, I mean, it's like a novel more so than something to feast for the eyes. Although a lot of the cinematography was very beautiful and moving. (laughs) And I, like, there were two waitresses that stuck out. One of them was the uh, girl from, um, uh, not Big Bang Theory, Katie Mixon I think is the actress. She was the younger one, and they they he tries to take the two hundred dollars from her or whatever the tip. Do you think that when Bridges character sends Alberto back to get the two hundred dollars, do you think the guy got the the two hundred dollars?
0: Uh, yeah. Because later on he says he that she was pissed that he collected the two hundred bucks as <laughs> evidence. I don't know when they did it, but. It got done at some point.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't tell if he was just say, sending him back there so that he would have that frustrating <laughs> interaction with her. Or if it's just like, go clean up my, you know, go do the dirty work. <laughs> clean up my problem. And I don't have to deal with her.
0: So. Oh, I mean, that's part of being the low man on the totem pole. But the other
1: actress who is a star of the movie, the T-Bone waitress. What don't you want? Margaret Bowman. You've seen her before in what she was the hotel clerk in no country for old men okay and she was also the trick-or-treat lady in a perfect world wow yeah she plays that role pretty well oh she has a wonderful little monologue i think she has a 41 some odd uh or maybe not that many but she's got a lot of imdb credits as an actress so i was i was very impressed with her although i've been in i've it wasn't in West Texas, but it was a restaurant where you ordered with or without.
0: <laughs> oh, like a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I've but, had that.
1: That's it. You go there, or you can have it with fries or without fries or something like well, that. Well, and
0: then they have like two or three windows you go to progressively. Right. So, I mean, one of them is just you're ordering your, your cheesesteak. <laughs> that streamlines things for you. Oh, they move people through. And yeah, and that's windows like you want a drink, and then it's like fries or not. <laughs> it's awesome.
1: This allowed for a lot of humor in the movie. But I wonder what he was thinking they were going to do. Like, just watch this bank here, this one bank. Like, a lot of the logic of the movie depends on fate and these guys making choices and decisions to put them into, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to bring them together at the end. And, I mean, we're talking about a pretty big place. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to continue to rob from the same bank unless you have that personal motivation.
0: Or to start with the smaller banks and move up to the bigger ones that then have security guards at them too.
1: Yeah, there were some problems it, I had with that thinking. More, but because the brother goes off on his own and robs a different branch. <laughs> right? Not a branch, but a different bank altogether.
0: Really? I thought that was one of the same ones. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay.
1: It's a different bank altogether, but I mean they use that as a clue that they have some personal motivation against the Midlands brand bank, and if they're only eight, you can you can put a patrol car here, eight of those. Oh stuff. yeah,
0: you'd have a plainclothes officer there.
1: But then, didn't you have a problem? And this might be a testament to the movie, but it could be a drawback as well. Could you figure out what time period they were in?
0: I mean, uh, I thought it was you know definitely after nine eleven. With the, you know, three tours stuff.
1: Up until, yeah, I thought it was in there. But it could have been in the 80s. And some of the cars looked pretty old. I mean, that was a function of them being stolen vehicles.
0: Well, and you're in Texas. It's nice and dry, so cars don't rot. but up it, It's not like, I mean, we live on the East Coast. And, man, winters are hard on cars. You, they you, rust out pretty quick.
1: You couldn't necessarily tell by their dress or by their behaviors of the technology, until there was one scene, and it seemed almost like a, an anachronism, when the young bank teller was texting when one of the robbers walked in. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this place is at least, you know, at, at least concurrent with mm-hmm. now, I mean, or within the last five years, so... But the movie could have existed in the 70s. It could have operated the same way. And at least in terms of the technology, there was a question as to the backing up the surveillance videos. or I mean, they don't allow in the movie for those characters to be aware of that. So is this just a happy...
0: I'm not following that last bit.
1: Part of the reason that they're able to get away with the early bank robberies or that they don't have a clear... Um, Suspects, so they don't have clear suspects. It has to do with the fact that Midlands, Texas Midlands Bank, doesn't have surveillance capability.
0: That's on the first bank, but then they robbed the second bank. No,
1: all, none of them do. The second bank didn't really either.
0: No, uh, Alberto goes back with the bank manager to go... Uh, I think that's... Or the, that, that's at lunch, I guess. I think that's the third bank. Okay, but I mean, that's all... That's well, it's a different the same branch, day. though. But they quickly have... Video, but if you're also wearing a ski mask, no, and you're wearing baggy clothes, it's pretty hard to get a good description.
1: I think they're making a point, though, that because I'm pretty sure in the dialogue, the third bank, the guy, he he was like, "Do you have video surveillance?" And the guy was like, "Yeah." He goes, "You have access to that information?" He's like, "Of course, we're a bank," and it acts as a contrast to the other sort of backwater bank that Texas Midlands is.
0: Well, they were upgrading their systems. and I mean, it, Yeah, but I'm just happens. saying that those guys wouldn't have had access to that information. I don't think. I don't think it would help a whole lot, but one of the better points I like is no one wants to help these uh, Rangers do their job. You no, want to recover want to the bank's money? No. We're not helping you. No. I mean, and they do a good job explaining it at the end of the movie because I'm like, this is going to fall apart. A lot of people have seen Chris Pine's face.
1: Yeah, without that key scene, that interclary scene between the, f- the final shootout and the epilogue, if, if they didn't have that to explain how he mm-hmm. gets away with it, I would have been pretty angry with the movie. It would have ruined the movie.
0: But it also felt authentic. Oh, yeah. With the way they set up, you know, people's characterization. We hate that bank. Even, you know, they have a brief scene with the lawyer, and he's like, if you really want to make this look good, set up your trust with Midland. Have them manage it.
1: Right his motivations and the way that uh, Ben Foster was questioning him in a different movie, they may have played him out to be taking advantage of Chris Pine at the end. And a different movie would have had that guy being in control of his ranch in the end, that bank teller, whoever Mm -hmm. it was, that buddy of theirs that they go to. But because Ben Foster is suspicious of him, whereas Chris Pine is, he has to, agree with him or he has to put his trust or his faith that this guy is telling him the right information Mm -hmm. so yeah that's a payoff but again that other scene where they explain all the steps and why this guy isn't why uh tanner or toby (laughs) toby is no longer a suspect and you can't pin it on him uh we can't go after him Without that scene, I would have been sitting there thinking, Holy crap, this movie doesn't make any sense. It would have made me very angry. Instead, because they include all those reasons why, it makes for a very satisfying
0: experience. Well even uh, you know, getting rid of the vehicle when Foster, you know, sets it on fire. No, you're not gonna get prints from that thing. You can't prove that it was Chris Pine in the vehicle now. Oh yeah, well that I mean that doesn't even if he But again, this goes back to my point of have at least three reasons for every scene.
1: Well you can, everything
0: that happens, I mean it has multiple payoffs. It's a great little action piece. The cinematography, it's nice eye candy, but it also helps them hide their crime.
1: Yeah, but I think that that was just pure luck.
0: And the movie was too smart in too many other spots of setting up stuff.
1: Well, it showed him wearing gloves a lot of time too. So
0: yeah, I'm just saying the the movie was smart and consistent. Uh, In the same way as uh, The Martian last year, I think, was, you know, let's try to actually figure out these problems, you know, and how do you commit the perfect crime? Mm -hmm. You know, or in The Martian, how do you actually solve these horrible disasters going on?
1: That's smart writing. This is an argument that I had with my dad leaving the theater. Does he commit the perfect crime? And is he, I mean, do you think he gets away with it? This is the stuff that goes on after the movie. Or outside of the frame. Uh, does Bridges show up, and for them to continue this? Why, yeah. Why? Why wouldn't Bridges give up? My dad says, "Oh yeah, he just goes home." I said, "No, Bridges doesn't. Bridges is a dog with a bone. Bridges is defined by being a Texas Ranger, and he's and he is justice. He is the justice, and he is going to have his man. Uh, come he, come uh. hell or high water." <laughs> Jeff Bridges is going to have his man, and at the end, even though Pine thinks he's gotten away with it, I think it it reminded me a lot of like the Casco Monteado. Bridges wants,
0: I I think Pine wants Bridges to come get him. Pine's not happy with what he did, but he's willing to sell his soul to provide for his family, and I think Bridges has to respect that. It's like, wait, you don't even own this place? No, it's in a truck. My kids do. I think he can respect that,
1: but I don't think that he has to honor it. And I, I think that there's, a, there's a, a moral imperative that goes beyond mere respect.
0: Yes, but I think he was also hoping to go and find the boogeyman. Go and find someone who is evil and who has done evil things and hmm. doesn't really have great motivations. The longer they talk, the more he finds out, the more it's like, this really isn't a horrible person. His brother was horrible, but I killed his brother. And this guy feels guilty for what he did. Killing him isn't going to make me feel better.
1: Yeah, That's kind of the argument my dad had. I feel
0: the other way. I mean, but I think that's where, you know, it's kind of ambiguous. I mean, you you can have different takes on that.
1: I'm I'm of the mindset that he needs the closure that that character, the sheriff or the Texas Ranger played by Jeff Bridges will not be satisfied with just kind of sitting on the porch hanging out with his dog. Oh, so, yeah. he's going to have to have that sort of closure. And if he gets it through pine shooting him or him shooting pine, then so I don't be think it. Bridges wants closure
0: because as soon as he, if, if he went in that night and shoots pine, then he's done being a ranger. His career is officially over. His if he career tells is himself
1: over. it's already, over. You
0: no, know, he's still got that last case. He still hasn't finished off pine. If he tells himself,
1: I can always get you tomorrow.
0: It it lets him carry on.
1: I think he goes and gets him tomorrow.
0: Because the whole movie is setting up the idea that Bridges doesn't want to stop being a ranger. His whole life is defined by being a ranger. And he's afraid of moving on. So I think it could be like, uh, what's that movie? Princess Bride with uh, Wesley when he was with the dread pirate Roberts. Right. I'll, I'll kill you tomorrow. Okay. And it just goes on for years. and I'll just kill you tomorrow. All right. You know, being happy. Uh, But again, it's kind of ambiguous. As you wish.
1: All right. So uh, what's next week? I guess we're we're very positive on this movie, right? Yeah. Go see this. Surprising. You and I actually like the same movie. or Really? Like a movie to the same extent. I think we were both
0: big on Sicario. Uh, Here's one thing
1: I'm going to be sad
0: about. I walked out of this theater and I had the same feeling I had with Sicario. This movie is going to get overlooked for
1: awards. Is it because of the timing?
0: Time, but it's also the content. It's I think it's a little too right wing. I don't think this movie plays well all over the country. Hmm. I think you get up into the you know real far northeast. I don't think people from Maine are going to be huge on this film.
1: Well, it's a critical darling,
0: so the, the critics like. I don't know what the audience is. thinking. Sicario was pretty well liked too. Yeah. I just, I can see this is the type of movie that gets overlooked. And I think that's a shame. I thought it was the same way with Sicario.
1: It's possible, or it might actually be the awards darling. I don't really know what the awards, how the awards season is going to shape up, but I, I like the fact that we're heading in that direction. Mm-hmm. And we're getting away from all of this other stuff that's sort of fluffy. All right. Although I guess I'll have to see what you had to say during the wee
0: laugh. Yeah, I think I've got to make an <laughs> argument for a popcorn film during next week's show.
1: Do we have an idea for next week's show? I know pretty soon we're going to be doing our fall preview. Yeah.
0: I think I'm going to try and get you to go watch Don't Breathe. All right. We'll <laughs> but, talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, if not,
1: it'll be something and at least have something. Might be
0: Hands of Stone. You, we'll see. Yeah.
1: yeah. We'll so, talk about that in a live, I guess. Which is going to be episode 174, which will be coming out later on this week. One of my favorite films from last year, I think, was one of your top. Ten maybe was Bone Tomahawk. Remember that? Yeah, Samantha. You remember that character, the uh, the wife of? Uh, I don't know the the reason that they actually have to go on the trip or the journey. She says, "This is why frontier life is so difficult. Not because of the Indians or the elements, but because of the idiots." <laughs> So for Mr. Bull over there... It's been a pleasure. I'm uh, the L-Train, Poxet,
0: Therapy, dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend?
1: Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show.